As we enter into our message time this morning, I want to begin with a question uh, that I don't know if you've thought about before, but it's an important question. And it is, why should we study the Old Testament? Uh, Perhaps you've never articulated that in your own mind. Now, there are many reasons, but I want to give three crucial reasons as we start the message this morning. Number one, the Old Testament shows us the seriousness of sin. That's why we should study it. Uh, We live in a culture that minimizes and trivializes sin greatly. I've just been reading the biography of Pastor R.C. Sproul, and he said when he was saved at the age of 18, he began immediately reading the Old Testament before he entered into the New Testament. And he said here was his dominant impression as he devoured the Old Testament. He said, God is a God who plays for keeps. God is a God who plays for keeps. And the Old Testament teaches us that God takes sin very seriously. A second reason why we ought to study the Old Testament is God has one plan of salvation, not two plans. All New Testament truths are foreshadowed in the Old Testament and and taught then in the New Testament. This is especially important for Jewish people who need to see how the Old Testament leads us to the New Testament. You see, the Bible is one book that unfolds the unified plan of God for salvation from the very beginning. And then a third reason why we ought to study the Old Testament is Christ is the center of the whole Bible. There's an old statement that says history is his story. And that's absolutely true. And the Bible is his story as well. Jesus did not spring up out of nowhere. He said, everything written about me must be fulfilled. And here's what I love. When we look at the portrait of Jesus in the New Testament... And we look at the portrait of him in the Old Testament, we discover there is a perfect match. Those portraits are one and the same. Now one place that we see this so beautifully in the Old Testament is Genesis 14. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to that chapter once again, and I want to bring a third and final message from this chapter, simply entitled this morning, Melchizedek, a type of Christ. Melchizedek, a type of Christ. And I'm going to ask our video projector to make sure he brings that up on the screen so that we can see it this morning. And I want us to look together at verses 18 through 20 as we read these verses about this man, Melchizedek, and just what the Bible has to say about him. So uh, maybe I'll ask my video tech if he will move that screen forward for me and you can see the title, but let's read the verses. There we are this morning. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. 
Now, I just want to say this morning, I love preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And here is a portrait of Christ. Let's begin and notice, first of all, and I'm just going to ask my video tech to help me this morning. Um, I, for whatever reason, my remote is not working. By the way, it's been a year and eight months since I've done this. So we're a little rusty. But I want you to notice something. The book of Genesis is structured around genealogies. It's structured around genealogies. And I'm going to raise my hand and ask, there we go, excellent, all right. The word genealogy in the Old Testament means a record or a family line. Now after the record or the genealogy of the heavens and earth, we have the genealogies of all the major figures in Genesis. If we were to line it up like a typical family tree, we can see exactly what's going on. Let's bring that family tree up. And it becomes clear what's happening. The lineage of Jesus back to Abraham is revealed. And the lineage of Jesus back to Adam is revealed. Now, the New Testament clearly picks up on this because Luke, in his genealogy, traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. So Jesus is one of us. He is a real man. But then Matthew, in his genealogy, traces Jesus all the way back to Abraham. So Jesus fulfills the promises to Abraham. But here's the question. Is Jesus more than just a man? Yes, he is. And where do we see that? Enter Melchizedek. Here is a major figure in Genesis without a genealogy. Do you know this really got the attention of the Jewish people? They said in a book structured around genealogies, here's a man whose genealogy is not revealed. They said, he must not be a man. Maybe he's an angel. Some said he is Michael the archangel. The New Testament has a better answer. Melchizedek was a man. He had parents, likely had descendants. Why aren't they listed? Listen to Hebrews 7.3. He resembles the Son of God without beginning of days nor end of life. Melchizedek is teaching us that the one who descended from Adam and Abraham is more than both. Jesus is the Son of God, the God-man, without beginning or ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And he fits perfectly the type. He fits perfectly the type. Let's move to the second truth in this portrait, all right? Number two. Christ is a superior priest. Christ is a superior priest. Now, as we look at these verses, there are two ways in which we learn that Christ is indeed a superior priest. I want to look at the second one first, so we'll bring it up on the screen. And here's what we learn, that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. Abraham. 
and the Levitical priests who descended from him. Now I want you to look at this picture for just a moment that I'd like to have put on the screen. And I want to ask this question, all right? Um, let's move back to the picture or ahead to the picture, all right? One or the other, move back, move, okay, and move ahead to the next one. Uh, let's move ahead to the next one, all right? All right, well, let's just forget the picture and go back for just a moment. All right? Here's a picture. It says, Abraham and Melchizedek. A man is kneeling, and the other man is standing and putting his hands upon him. Now, if we could look at that picture, here's the question that I want to ask you. Who's the greater in status in this picture? The one standing and blessing, or the one kneeling and receiving the blessing? Well, it's obviously the one kneeling. Now, we don't know in this episode if there was indeed kneeling, but that was often the case. When you were blessed by somebody else, you kneeled before them, and they laid their hands upon you. So if there was one of these men kneeling, who was it, Abraham or Melchizedek? It was Abraham. He was the one who was kneeling. And the title of the picture, which is not up this morning, so you're going to have to visualize it, says, Abraham and Melchizedek, and my question this morning was, is there anything wrong with the words of this title? And what's the answer? It shouldn't be Abraham and Melchizedek. It should be Melchizedek and Abraham. Because the greater should be listed first. Now notice another reason why Christ is a superior priest. He was appointed first in this particular slide directly by God. And so let's bring that up. He was appointed directly by God. Do you know here in verse 18, this is the first mention of a priest in the Bible. When the Bible says about Melchizedek, he was a priest of God Most High, it is the first time a priest is mentioned in the entire Bible. Now, what do you notice here? You notice that he was appointed directly by God. You see, the priest that descended from the line of Abraham through his great-grandson Levi, they inherited their priesthood. So you were a priest because your father was a priest, and your grandfather was a priest, and your great-grandfather was a priest, all the way back to Aaron, who was a descendant of Levi. Now, I want to ask this question. Which is greater? Inheriting your ministry from your descendants or being directly appointed by God to the ministry? Which one is greater? Let's put it this way this morning. Suppose I were to say to you, I'm a pastor because I inherited it from my dad. I think you would lean a little closer and you would say, well, you have been called by God, haven't you? 
And if I would say, you know what, my dad was called and I'm in the line of succession, what's the big deal if I've been called or not? I think you might say something like this, we don't want someone who's just in line for the job, we want someone who's been called by God for the job. By the way, it goes without saying, the next pastor of Bethel needs to have a clear call from God, right? Absolutely. Now let's go back, Mr. Videotech. Let's go back. And let's read together this verse from Psalm 110.4. Would you read it with me? The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Was Jesus in line for the job or was he called to the job? He was called directly. Do you know this verse here, Psalm 110.4, is quoted seven times in the book of Hebrews. And the call of Melchizedek was God's intention. It was his intention to say the ultimate priest will be directly called by God. Now I want you to look at this. Look at this. Christ is a superior person. And he is a superior priest. So where is this leading us? Where is this taking us? Where do we fit in? I would dare say this morning you could probably guess the next truth in this portrait. But let me give it to you this morning. Because number one is two and number two, and number two is true. Let's look at number three. Christ gives superior promises. Christ gives superior promises. Now I want you to notice superior in two ways, all right? Number one, superior in extent. Superior in extent. I have another question I want to ask at this point in the text, and here's the question. When Melchizedek ministered here in Genesis chapter 14, was Abraham a Gentile or a Jew? And you might say, well, wait a minute. He was a Jew. But just a minute, just a minute. Abraham is the father of the Jews. I just read that yesterday in Isaiah 41, where the Lord says, Israel, my servant, offspring of Abraham. At this point in the Genesis record, he has no children. The Abrahamic covenant will not happen until chapter 15. Think about this. Abraham was a Gentile when he was called by God. Is that not mind-boggling? He became the father of the Jews. So let me ask this question. Who was Melchizedek ministering to here in Genesis 14? Gentiles. And the future father of the Jewish people. We've got to read another verse at this point if we can. Let's try it. 
Bring it up, my friend. Bring it up. Yay, it works. Let's read it together. Look what Hebrews 7.25 says as it makes this connection. Let's read it together. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, here's a question. Who is the those and the them? It's everyone, isn't it? It's Gentiles and Jews. Jesus ministers to all people who will receive him, just like Melchizedek did. He fits the type. He fits the type. Notice there's another way that Christ gives superior promises. Mr. Videotech, let's bring it up, all right? His promises in the New Covenant are superior in effect. Superior in effect. The Bible calls him, in verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem. That's actually two titles. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And Salem means peace. So this man has two titles, king of righteousness and king of peace. This is describing his rule and the effect of his rule in ancient Salem, which is short for Jerusalem, where Jesus one day will come and his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And what this is telling us about Jesus is this, or about Melchizedek, he was a righteous king, and because he reigned righteously, God blessed him and his subjects with peace. Can you imagine what it must have been like living in Salem with this man as your king? Think of what it was like. He's ruling and reigning righteously. And God is so pleased with him that, that he blesses Melchizedek with peace and the people living in his city with peace. What a blessing it must have been to be under this man's reign. Jesus is called the Prince of what? Peace. He's called that because he's also the king of righteousness. And here's what the Bible says. Because Jesus is the king of righteousness, we also are blessed in wonderful ways with peace. Let's bring up those ways for just a moment, all right? Notice this. In Philippians 3.9, we are told that if we have King Jesus, the King of Righteousness, as our King, through faith in his death and resurrection for us, then God blesses us with peace in wonderful ways. We have the peace of God, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, and that means to receive a righteous standing because of Jesus' righteous sacrifice for us, we have peace with God. The war is over. 
God is no longer angry with us. We are his children in a peaceful relationship with him. And then in Philippians 4, 7, it says we can have the peace of God. It says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know what that is? That's personal peace in the storms of life because we know Jesus is in the boat. And when we are going through times of trial that cause anxiety and worry, we know that he stands and says, peace be still. And our hearts are calmed. And the trouble is taken away. And then notice, we can make peace with people. Wow. James 3.18 says this, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And when King Jesus is reigning, we treat others the way that he would treat them. Look at this. Look at this. Think of those subjects of Salem living in peaceful conditions because their king Melchizedek was the king of righteousness. And then think of the life that we now have because our king is King Jesus. It all fits the type. Jesus is a superior person, a superior priest, And he gives superior promises. What do we say in conclusion? Well, let's let's say what the writer of the Hebrews says, all right? Hey, that worked perfect this morning. That worked perfect. Now, at the end of reading these verses together, there needs to be an amen, all right? Okay? So let's read them together, shall we? Hebrews 5. 9 and 10, together, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank the Lord. As her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed, you can see why I love preaching Christ from the Old Testament. What is hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New. What is made clear in the New Testament is foreshadowed in the Old. Christ is the center of the whole Bible. There's one plan of God for salvation. From the beginning, 
all the way until Jesus comes again. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you know Christ, these blessings that communion talks about can be yours. Right where you're sitting, you can repent of your sins and express your need of a Savior. You can say, Lord, I'm turning from my own way and I'm turning to you. I believe that you are the God-man who came into this world to die on a cross and rise again. That my sins, which are many, might be forgiven, washed away. That I might be born anew into the family of God. And right now, the best way that I know how, I'm repenting and turning to Jesus. By faith, inviting him into my life to be my savior. And into my life to be my Lord. And you can say to him, Lord Jesus, I, I believe your word when you said, He who comes to me I will never cast out. And so thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. And I now will live for you. I'll follow the one who loved me and gave himself for me. If today has been a day of salvation for you, we'd love to hear that. We'd love to talk with you, encourage you. There's much the Lord wants you to know about the Christian life and living for him. So, Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. We're here as your servants. You are our elder brother, the captain of our salvation. You're our king, our returning Lord. And we eagerly wait for the day in which our redemption will be complete. And it's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.